everybody. Welcome to the Thrive Theology podcast, where we equip you to live thoughtfully as a Christian by discussing and teaching various theological topics. We believe that every Christian is called to be a theologian because theology isn't just knowing about God, but knowing his heart and him personally. Today we have episode 120 for you, and we are going to be talking about Trinitarian heresies. So today we're going to throw a whole bunch of isms at you, and these are all different views of the Trinity that have been rejected by Orthodox Christianity throughout history. Most of these popped up in the first few centuries of the early church, but they are still popular among different sects of Christianity today. So we're looking forward to going through all of these with you. And before we jump into all of the heresy, we're first going to establish the historic Orthodox view of the Trinity. So the historic Orthodox view of the Trinity, um, there's quite a few verses that we're going to read to you just to give you a good idea. The first one is there is one God. We learn this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Next, the Trinity consists of three persons, and the members of the Trinity are distinct from each other. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 say this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Each member of the Trinity is God. We learn this in John chapter 6, verse 27, which says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Romans chapter 9, verse 5, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The members of the Trinity also have different tasks. Next, we're going to talk about the hypostatic union. So this is the fancy word for how we view the two natures of God the Son. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. God took on human nature, becoming man, while at the same time retaining his divine nature. We see this in John chapter 10, verse 30, which, which is where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And we also see it in John chapter 1, verse 14, where John is introducing Jesus. And he says, many of you will be familiar with this passage. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Early on in the history of the church, the Chalcedonian Creed was developed. The Chalcedonian Creed is very specific to the doctrines of the Trinitarian nature of the Godhead and also the hypostatic union of the two natures in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read this for you. It's a little wordy and long, but it's going to give us a really good base for when we discuss all of the different heresies for the Trinity. We have something straight to kind of compare all of these different heresies to. So here's the Chalcedonian Creed. It says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul and body, 
consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved, and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. So this Chalcedonian Creed is a long and wordy way of basically saying Jesus is God, and and it says more than that, of course. <laughs> but um, this is kind of the, the, the creed that we hold to in conservative and orthodox Christianity that defends the two natures of Christ, that he was fully God and fully man. Now we're going to get into the heresies. Basically, all of these, we're going to be saying the Trinity is not, and then explaining what this heretical view is. And we're going to start with polytheism. This is the denial of the oneness of the Trinity. In the Greek, poly means many, and theo means God. Some non-Christians believe that Christianity is polytheistic because of the nature of the Trinity, the Godhead being three in one. Polytheism was rampant in the early years of the church, mostly due to Greek and Roman mythology. In fact, many Greeks and Romans mistook Christians for atheists because they didn't worship all of the Greek and or Roman gods. The closest modern polytheistic religion is Hinduism, which is the product of a melting pot of many different religions to produce one main religion. Hinduism has many gods, some sources say up to 33 million, some say 330 million. Many Hindu sources claim there are far fewer than that, with the actual number being 33 gods described in their Vedas, the holy books. Regardless of that interpretation fact, there are multiple gods being worshipped. Um, Mormonism adheres to polytheism, and if you want more on Mormonism, you can check out our pseudo-Christian sects from like two summers ago. Yeah, we, on can, that. we can link that in the show notes. We absolutely can. Next up, we have henotheism. So henotheism is the belief that many gods exist, but that it is appropriate to venerate one god above the others. So it's similar to polytheism in that there's many gods, but the adherence to henotheism can choose basically which god to worship. So because the henotheist chooses one god from many to worship, he's different than the polytheist who worships multiple gods and doesn't place any above the other. Next, we're going to talk about Arianism. Arianism is one of the most popular um, heresies regarding the Trinity. Um, and this view denies the Trinity by saying that Jesus was not actually God's son, but was rather somewhere between God and man. So he wasn't just man, but he wasn't quite God. This teaching was started by Arius, who lived from 256 to 336 AD, and he was from Antioch. 
More extreme modern forms of Arianism don't even say that Jesus was between God and man, but rather that he was just a man. And we're going to get more into views that talk about Jesus as just being a human in a few minutes. We're going to discuss that. That's actually a different view. But unfortunately, a lot of more liberal Christian movements, especially the progressive Christian church or movement, I should say, teach Arianism, even though they don't call it Arianism. Like you're not going to be sitting in church and they're going to be like, okay, today we're going to talk about why we believe in Arianism. It's just that they will instead say that Jesus wasn't fully God. Arianism was rejected at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And in addition to some progressive Christian movements, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower Society um, also adhere to Arianism. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe he was a great prophet instead. And Islam would also hold this view. Next up, we have dynamic monarchianism. Monarchianism comes from the Latin word single rule. Monarchia, just like we get the word monarchy today to refer to a single ruler. Monarchianism affirmed the monotheistic nature of Christianity, but took it too far to the point of denying the triune nature of God. Dynamic monarchianism is that Jesus wasn't God, but at his baptism was empowered by God to do miracles. This is also called adoptionist monarchianism. Dynamic is the name from the Greek word dynamis, which refers to Jesus's miracles. Dynamic monarchianism affirms that Jesus was born of a virgin and therefore divinely conceived. This view says that Jesus lived a righteous life and because of that received special power to do miracles from God. This view is sometimes called adoptionism because of the belief that God chose or adopted Jesus due to his sinless nature. This view contradicts John 3.16, claiming that Jesus wasn't begotten of God, but was instead adopted by God. Some dynamic monarchianism adherents believe that Jesus was only ever human, while others believe he did later become God at the resurrection. So some believe he was only ever a human, even after his death and resurrection, others believe that after his resurrection, he was like elevated to the status of God. Around 190 AD, a leather worker named Theodotus began to teach that Jesus didn't perform miracles before his baptism because God hadn't yet empowered him. The church in Rome saw this um, error for what it was and excommunicated Theodotus soon after. Almost a hundred years later, in 260 AD, Paul of Samosata, Bishop of Antioch, started teaching a similar idea to Theodotus, but with his own ideas added in. He believed that the Logos of God was his wisdom instead of his son, and therefore couldn't be separated from God himself. Therefore, Jesus had to be a normal human who was simply led of or inspired by the Logos or wisdom of God. Paul of Samosata was later excommunicated, and the Council of Nicaea, which happened 65 years later, rejected Paul's teaching. 
This teaching still exists today in Unitarianism. Unitarianism, as opposed to Trinitarianism, is not a specific church denomination, but rather it's a theological viewpoint, um, which is, of course, false. And this is the teaching that Jesus wasn't God, but instead was a great teacher, um, and that he was perfectly moral, and that he was a great example to follow. So Unitarianism is just the it's like the opposite of Trinitarian. Um, Trinity, of course, refers to three persons. Unitarian refers to, like, it's just God. Next, we have modalism or modalistic monarchianism. The biblical names for God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are different names for the same God rather than different names for different persons of the Trinity. This view says that God is one person but has manifested himself differently throughout the Bible, as God the Father mainly in the Old Testament, as God the Son mainly in the New Testament, and as God the Holy Spirit primarily since the Ascension. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do not exist at the same time. Neotis of Smyrna started teaching modalism around 190 AD, which is about the same time Theodotus started teaching dynamic monarchianism or adoptionism. Neotis taught that for Jesus to be God, he had to be the same person as God. He was refuted by Hippolytus of Rome. A few years later, a priest named Praxias taught modalism as well. He was refuted by Tertullian around 213 AD. The Council of Nicaea, again, officially rejected modalism in 325 AD. This is probably the most common or popular Trinitarian heresy that exists today. Today, we see it pop up in oneness Pentecostalism. In addition to what we've described, oneness Pentecostals also teach that God can manifest himself in all three modes at once, which would be at Jesus' baptism. Church denominations we see this doctrine in include the United Pentecostal Church and the United Apostolic Church. This would be an issue that you might come into if you're trying to explain the Trinity by um, comparing it to the three different forms of water being a solid, a liquid, or a gas. The same water can be either frozen or water vapor or a liquid, but it's all the same thing. That would be an example of the modalistic heresy. Next up, we have Patripassianism. Patripassianism naturally comes out of monarchianism. The word Patripassianism means the father's suffering. So this is the belief that God the Father suffered with or as Jesus on the cross. It's the belief that God the Father experienced the same thing God the Son experienced while dying on the cross. Similar to modalistic monarchianism, Patripassianism says that God is one and has different forms or modes. And this is how God the Father could suffer as God the Son on the cross. Of course, this kind of gets weird when you think about this is like God saying that he is his own son. This was a very early heresy in the history of the church. Justin Martyr wrote to refute Patripassianism in 153 A.D., And if you want to hear more on Justin Martyr, check out episode 64 from May of 2020. We see Patripassianism pop up in The Shack, which was a very popular book and then later a movie by uh, William Paul Young. In the movie and the book, God the Father, who is referred to as Papa and who is played by a black woman, um, shows the main character with nail scars in his or her wrists. I'm saying his or her because it's a male title, but played by a woman. 
Um, and this implies that he or she suffered on the cross in the same way that God the Son did. So God the Father has the scars from on the cross. Patropassianism is a problem because it denies the three distinct persons of the Trinity and instead says that they are all one person instead of three persons in one Godhead. There is nothing new under the sun. Next, we have Nestorianism. Nestorius was the Archbishop of Constantinople, and he lived from 386 to 451 AD. Nestorius, for whom his heresy is named, actually denied holding this view. This view was developed and became popular because many viewed it as heretical to say that God suffered as a human did, that he experienced human weaknesses and death. Nestorians said that Jesus, the perfect man, suffered and died on the cross, not God. Jesus was two persons in one body. The divine and human natures were completely separate. This is how the human Jesus could suffer and die, but not the divine Jesus who shared the same body. Of course, this leads to the problem of substitutionary atonement. If the, quote, human Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't perfect. If the, quote, divine Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't human. Either way, this was not a fitting sacrifice for substitutionary atonement. This view was rejected at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD. Next up, we have three different heresies that all fall under one umbrella. And this is the last umbrella or category of heresies we're going to be discussing today. And it is monophysitism. The word monophysitism comes from the Greek word meaning one nature. And we can see this in the prefix mono and in the Greek root phys, meaning the natural order. The first one we're going to talk about is Apollinarianism. So Apollinarianism is the belief that Jesus was human and therefore sinful, and that the Logos of God came upon Jesus, replacing his human or rational mind with that of the Logos. Apollinaris the Younger was the bishop of the Laodicean church. He started teaching this view of the nature of Christ around the year 361 AD. This belief was rejected at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. So it was rejected 20 years after it started. Apollinaris' belief that Jesus was fully human and therefore sinful, and because of this, his mind or rational mind had to be replaced with the mind of God, resulted in Jesus being human in body and soul, but divine in mind. So the body was essentially just God's mouthpiece that he spoke through to preach his message. According to this false doctrine, Jesus could not be the atoning sacrifice for our sins because this would mean that he was not the lamb that had no spot or blemish. This view contradicts the orthodox view that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, and instead says that some parts of Jesus are human and others' parts are divine. The second is Eutychianism. Jesus's two natures, divine and human, were so mixed together that he was neither fully divine nor fully human. This was taught by Eutychus in 378, he lived from 378 to 452 AD, the leader of a monastery in Constantinople. Eutychus was trying to refute Nestorianism, but he ended up going too far, falling into heresy himself. 
The analogy from gotquestions.org is this. A drop of ink is stirred into a glass of water. The mixture is no longer 100% water or 100% ink. It's a new third substance. Eutychus believed that Jesus' human nature was completely overwhelmed by his divine nature. The Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD renounced this heresy. For more on the Council of Chalcedon, check out episode 104 from May 2021, where we talked about the Chalcedonian Creed and the council it was developed from. Eutychus's error was that he claimed Jesus had only one nature, rather than two distinct natures, fully human and fully divine. The last Trinitarian heresy we're going to touch on today is monothelitism. Monothelitism is the idea that Jesus had two natures, but only one will. This teaching began in Armenia and Syria around the year 633 AD, so it was one of the later Trinitarian heresies that was developed. This view was actually developed as a bit of a compromise between two different groups, and both groups are wrong, but one group said that Jesus had two natures, while the other said that Jesus had one will. And so saying that Jesus had two natures, but only one will, was a way of making both groups happy. And in the classic way, when you try to make everybody happy, nobody's right or happy. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 9 actually refutes this, um, this idea. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does not he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So here the author is referring to Psalm forty verses seven to eight, which show that Jesus had both divine and human will, which is actually the doctrine of diothelitism. This teaching was rejected around fifty years later at the Third Council of Constantinople. That was probably all really confusing and Nobody expects you to remember a bunch of those details, but it is curious um, to know that there are lots of people who have tried to figure it, figure out the Trinity, and in doing so have just, in their own human knowledge and the limits of that, taken it too far or not far enough, and we should really just take the Bible, as confusing as that might be. Yeah, I think that the the heresies seem to pop up when people want to know exactly how the Trinity works and every corner and aspect of its functioning. And I think we just have to recognize that there are certain things we do know about the Trinity. We know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. We know that we serve one God, which is made up of three persons. Um, but it's when we try to figure out all the finer points of how that works that I think we end up running into heresies because like Bethany said, like, we do not have the ability to fully understand how the Trinity works. And a lot of that is just something we're going to have to trust God for. We do not spend a lot of time talking about heresy on this podcast because we don't want to, this podcast to just turn into um, theological watching. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to just sit here and call people out and name names. There's a time and a place for that. Um, and we don't think it's on our podcast. 
But we decided to talk about Trinitarian heresies because it's a whole lot easier in some time, in some ways to know what the Trinity is not and to be aware of like, okay, this idea, the idea that like, um, Jesus is not fully God, that's wrong. And so it's good to be aware of that. Um, of course, like we always try to do, we started out with what the Trinity is, um, but we didn't go too in depth with that because we acknowledge that there are human limitations to understanding the Trinity. Something that was surprising to me when I was researching all of these is that a lot of these are very ancient heresies. They are, they've been around since the first, second century of the church. And yet we still see them pop up today. I remember researching some of these and thinking like, oh, I think like Bethel teaches this. Um, you know, Bill Johnson has said before that Jesus uh, was a human who was empowered by God to do good things. And, and he was human, but he was also fully divine and, and yeah, there's just more to it than that. So I think it's really important to be aware of these things so that if you are faced with these teachings, you can pick up on them and you can see the subtleties between the truth and the false teaching as well when we're discussing the nature of God and who he is. That's all we've got for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening. We hope that this has added to your understanding and appreciation of God and the gospel and how the God that we worship works or rather doesn't work. Thanks for tuning into the Thrive Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. For show notes, resources, blog posts, and a complete archive of episodes, visit us at thrivetheology.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. We'll chat with you next time.